Welcome to Line by Line. I am Pastor Josh Hawkins, and it is great to be with you once again. We are going to have some fun going through James chapter 4. Hopefully we'll get all the way to the end of the chapter uh, tonight. But as always, let us pray, and then we will, uh, we will jump in. Great and glorious creator, God. Here we are. Coming before the mystery of your word. We're hungry to be instructed. This very book written by this very servant of yours says that if we lack wisdom, that we should ask because you give it to those who ask for it without finding fault. So we come before you and we and our request tonight is wisdom from you. Open our eyes, open our hearts, transform us by the washing of the water of the word into the image of Jesus who showed us who you are. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. And amen. Okay. Last time, um, we... Where did we end? We ended with verse 6, where it says, He gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives great grace to the humble. So... We're going to start with verse 7, where we're kind of shifting gears. That whole last uh, section was all about um, was all about desires that cause strife, a certain way of, of embodying and acting, living in our desires that cause envy and um, and, and selfish ambition to rise up within us. We talked about how that's not the kind of desire that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's that's inhabiting desire in the way the world inhabits desire and how we need to be to learn how to inhabit the desires we've been given as led by the Holy Spirit. And um, so that is what we're going to move on to. So he, he told us that walked us through that stuff and now he is going to kind of give us a view as to how the how to how do we begin to embrace and live from a place where the desires that are formed in our hearts are not are aren't coming from the wrong kind of intention they're coming but they're coming from um uh the leadership of the holy spirit born of the fruit of the spirit that's that's our intention. That's what we want, and so that's what we're going to uh, that's what we're going to dis, uh, discover tonight. But first, let us read the text, James chapter four, starting with verse seven. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. 
Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and does not do it. Okay, that's the end of the chapter. Got a few things to really uh, to, to, to move through tonight. So let's go ahead and start here with verse 7. So remember, we're coming out of this space where the kinds of desires that we've been inhabiting, or rather the way we've been engaging with the desires that exist in us, um, has been in an earthly way. We've been all about ourselves. We've been all about... Uh, 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 the things that the world has taught us to long for and to pursue. Um, but James is telling us to, to let the Holy Spirit shift our desires over, out of a worldly path and into a path which is led by the Spirit. And, uh, and so now is the how. So we begin by submitting to God. Now this whole thing... Um, this whole thing, this whole chapter has been about me, 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 my desires, my desires, my way, my way, my ambition. He talked about envy and selfish ambition. It's been this very, this very self-driven place, this place of, uh, uh, of I have to establish for myself, um, a very rebellious kind of spirit. So to call us to submit to God is to respond to that in the opposite spirit. So it's to respond to that rebellion, that ambition, that place of me, 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 mine, 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 running after the things of uh, the way the world runs after them. Um, uh, we replace that by, by be and, and begin with submitting to God, the way that Jesus did. We think about, you know, the way that Jesus inhabited his life. And I always think, you know, Philippians chapter two is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. I really, truly believe that, uh, where it says that, you know, Paul says, Jesus, though he had the form of God, did not consider uh, that to be something to be grasped, but, uh, but, uh, gave it up and and took on the form of a servant, uh, the servant of humanity, and it's this backward way. It's this it's this out of self servitude and into servanthood. That's the leadership of the spirit. It's that is the way of the cross. That is the way of love. 
And as we submit to God, we watch the way Jesus submitted to God, even in the garden uh, of Gethsemane, right before his death, he was expressing a desire to the father that, you know, father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Right. That was his expressed desire. He, he did not want to have to go and suffer and and die. He was not looking forward to that experience. And he was saying, if there's any other way that we can accomplish these same means via different methods, that's that would be my vote, Father. Like that, that's that's where Jesus is coming from uh, in, in, in that place. And I love the transparency of Jesus. I love that the Bible shows us Jesus in that place, in in that frame of mind, truly wrestling with the, the what he's about to experience that it wasn't just he wasn't just stoically like oh suffering's not different no 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 he's he's human extremely human and he's in that space saying I I don't want to experience this but what is his response his end response his final response was not my will but yours be done father so Even in the face of a contrary set of desires, Jesus submitted himself to God. And not only that, but it says, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. So Jesus says, not my will, Father, but yours. And he submits to the he submits to God. And now it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we see Jesus resisting the devil in his temptation in the wilderness. Now, I know in like the Passion movie, we see Satan in Gethsemane uh, trying to, you know, uh, uh, trying to hurt Jesus. I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that Satan was there. I can't imagine that he wasn't there. I mean, definitely came in when when Judas came in. But was he involved in that? I don't know. Um, Regardless, Jesus resists the devil. And we do see very poignantly how Jesus resists the devil in the wilderness. And um, after three times, you know, after resisting everything the devil had to stand up against, the devil does flee. It says departed from him until an opportune time. So Satan ran away from that encounter. So we see these kind of two encounters of Jesus side by side. The Garden of Get of Get of Gethsemane, and then and then the 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 temptation in the wilderness, uh, right next to each other, and we see the victory of Jesus over his flesh, the victory of Jesus over the temptations of the enemy, the victory of Jesus over this kind of of desire and this kind of envy and and ambition and strife. Our what we have to do in this space uh, is submit to God. We let God do what God is going to do in our own time and in our life. Okay, so because remember the kind of the kind of desire we're talking about here that has caused the strife in the church is selfish ambition and envy. Right, that's the kind of desire that we're up against. The kind of desire that is that embodied in the way the world embodies desire and pursuing the things that the world pursues, and we submit to God. And what does that mean? Well, what I mean, we are giving up our will and we're accepting God's will for our lives. We're we're setting down what we the desires that we have, and we're saying, God, I. 
Father, I, I choose what you want for me and not what I want for me. And I choose the way you want my life to go and not the way I want my life to go. To avoid the desires which result in envy and selfish ambition, we have to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom come, my will be done. But your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. What does it look like to resist the devil? That's always a really great question. Uh, Step one is we have to realize that the devil is at work. And that might seem small, but it's not. It's a big deal. It's difficult to recognize when the devil is at work. It isn't always easy to recognize that that Satan is the one that 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 is stirring these desires in us, or that we're pursuing even a godly desire in a satanic way, because that can be done too. You know, that's when when uh, when when Satan said to Jesus, "Oh, you know, you, you're going to." Just just jump off the 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 pinnacle of the temple and, you know, everything's going to be fine. Or even the very first temptation, just command these stones to be bread. Well, Jesus was hungry and rightfully so. He'd been fasting for 40 days and he was hungry. And Satan says, command the stones to become bread. Is there anything wrong with Jesus eating bread at this time? No, of course not. Nothing wrong with eating bread. But he's fulfilling an a, a an okay desire in an ungodly way. That's the problem. And that's, and it's not always easy to see and to recognize that it's Satan is the one behind these brilliant ideas that we have in order to get something done in a certain way. So first we have to recognize that Satan is at work. And second, we have to, we have to say no. We have to say no. We have to choose a different path. Respond in the opposite spirit. And then we're given this promise, he will flee from you. That's a great promise. I love that promise because I want the devil to flee from me. I do. And sometimes uh, when I'm undergoing temptation, it's like, is the devil ever going to flee? (laughs) I feel like I've been in this season of temptation for a long time and I just can't shake loose of it. But the Bible says if we're submitting to God and if we're resisting the devil, that the devil will flee. That's great news because sometimes, you know, I just, it, I, if you've ever been through a long period of, of temptation, you know, you're just praying that that temptation will move over. Well, just get, get on beyond us and, uh, and, and, and that'd be really good. Okay. The next thing. So we have submit to God. We have resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then finally, draw near to God. Thank you, Jesus. But uh, draw near to God and he, God, will draw near to you. Draw near to God and and God will draw near to you. That's the promise. So what does it look like for us to draw near to God? What does it look like for us to draw near to God? That's a really important question. How do we draw near to God? Um, There's a million ways, but it all amounts to basically the same thing. Turn our attention toward him. Now he's going to give us um, some more instruction here uh, that's really important. And we'll get there in a second. But 
we have to turn our attention towards the Lord. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to move through the busyness of life and have our attention just drawn out in all these other ways. It's really easy for that to happen. It happens to me on a regular basis where I realize, you know, maybe it's at the end of the day when I'm laying down to go to sleep and I realize I've barely spoken to God today. That's why having um, specific times that you have planned to reconnect with God, that's called the daily office. We talk about it in our Emotionally Healthy class. Uh, the daily office are specific moments throughout the day where I am going to intentionally return my attention to the Lord. I'm going to soften my heart to his presence. I'm going to open the ears and the eyes of my heart. I'm going to say, here I am, Father. I'm, I'm going to block out all of the distracting things and the distracting voices. And I'm going to get with God, even if it's just for a few minutes. I'm going to get with God. I'm going to reconnect with him. I'm going to say, here I am. I love you. I'm paying attention to you. And I realign my heart with the Lord. I remember years ago hearing a, a talk by a worship leader named uh, Kim Walker, who's now Kim Walker Smith. She got married after that. But she talked about how every... Every day it was her intention to constantly stay in connection with the Lord. And I think that she was actually um, talking about a book which is very dear to me called The Practice of the Presence of God, by uh, which is Brother Lawrence. And he talks about how he turns every, every place that he goes, he transforms that place into a meeting place with God. So one of his jobs at the monastery was to do the dishes. And he hated doing the dishes. I mean, imagine doing all the dishes for an entire monastery and there's no dishwasher, right? So it's just you doing the dishes. And he really hated it. But he transformed that place. He transformed the sink where he's washing out these gross dishes. He transformed that place into a meeting place with God. And it became something he looked forward to that he would go and he would... And as he's washing the dishes, he would just turn that into this time of praise and adoration and worship unto the Lord. And, and, and you know, the, the, the fragrance of the bubbles and the, <laughs> the soap going up as, as fragrant incense unto God. And, and that space became a holy space for him. And that wasn't the, he, he found ways to do that with all of the, the spaces of his life. And drawing near to God looks like that. God is always ready for our attention. He's always ready. I think of, um, you know, the uh, in 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 Song of Solomon, uh, it talks about it talks about the the lover like on the edge of his seat, <laughs> waiting with bated breath for for an ounce of attention from his beloved. That that he's just. And he says, just one glimpse of your eye, one one sparkle of your necklace just captures me. And and to 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 think about God, the creator of the universe, enraptured by my attention, that he that he's looking for the attention of my heart. That blows my mind. 
But it says here and in several other places throughout the scriptures that if we seek God, God will seek us. That if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And so that is the picture of God, that as we turn our attention to him, he is he is uh, turning his attention toward us. Drawing near to God isn't difficult, uh, but it requires focus. It requires, um, it requires that we are intentional and that we say, no, I am going to set my gaze upon you, Father. That's, that is a, a place of intentionality uh, that we can't, we can't throw away, that we can't ignore that we're called to. So draw near to God. So if we're wanting to be free of these kinds of desires, which bring strife to our relationships and to our lives, we have to submit to God. We have to resist the devil. We have to draw near to God. And now he's going to talk about some other aspects of drawing near to God. So cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, cease to be double-minded, be miserable, mourn and weep. Oh, I'll just read the whole verse. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Boy, that, isn't that uplifting? <laughs> I read these verses and I go, Bleh, gross, I don't want this. But let's look into it a little more deeply because... James loves us and he's trying to give us good advice. So what does it mean to cleanse? Okay, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, and cease to be double-minded. Um, it's, it's talking about an, a, a, a whole changeover, a change of attitude, desire, and action. Okay, cleanse your hands. That is an action. That's outward behavioral change. Change up your behavior. Do things differently. You can't, uh, uh, you know, it's the, the, the whole uh, uh, definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. It's a definition of insanity, right? That's, that's, that's the phrase that's out there. Um, uh, and James would, I think, agree with that. And he was saying, look, if, if, you want a, if you want your relationship with God to be different, you have to change your activity. The things you do on the outside of you have to change. Now, that obviously means that we have to stop doing things that we know God doesn't want us to do. We have to, but, and it also means pay attention to where our attention is going. What are we doing outwardly that can change? In what way, even small ways, can we shift our, our attention to, towards the Lord, can can we change our behavior towards God? Um, that's re really radically important. And everything we talked about a few minutes ago about setting our attention on God, drawing near to God. You know, we have to pick up habits and practices that are that that are slowly over time transforming us into the kinds of people that are. Are, are submitted to the Holy Spirit. That's not easy to do. and But one little change is easy to make. 
and then and then you make another little change and then you make another little change when you think about you know what i'm just i'm i'm not going to say that thing that i was going to say i'm not going to uh i i you know i i, I was going to watch that television show which kind of drags me down but i'm not going to do that I, i'm just not going to do that this time or i was going to you know bite back at my at my spouse or my friend or my kid you know that they, they said something a little mean to me I, I was going to respond in kind but i'm not going to do that i'm going to change the way that i respond these are tiny little things but they build up over time i was going to you know tell that driver who cut me off that he was number one but i'm not going to do that right okay so so these are little changes that might at first seem uh, minuscule, like they can't, like they aren't really going to make anything better. But the truth is they do. And the more we make those choices, the more we teach our will to make the same kind of choice later on. Whereas this little choice might not matter very much, and that big, that other choice is bigger and will matter much more. If we are trying to lift a thousand pounds before we've ever done any reps at five pounds, right? We're going to really harm ourselves. It's not possible. We have to train ourselves little bit by little bit, by little bit. So that's cleanse our hands, change our outward behavior, purify your hearts. So that's inward mental motivational emotional okay mental i'm going to change the way that i think well first of all we have to pay attention to the way that we think and most of us don't you need to be observing how your mind works that is such a key part of discipleship i can't even i don't know how to emphasize it enough if you're not paying attention to what's going on up here. How can you ever change it? Listen to those to the internal monologue that you have going on. Pay attention to what's going on there and ask questions of it. Is this thought from the Lord? Is this does this thought sound like Jesus? Does this uh, is is that thing that I just thought, is that even true? Does it line up with the word of God? These are the kinds of questions that can save us from the power of our own minds, which are being trained. I love, love, love uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, very first couple verses, you know, um, uh, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be uh, renewed, be, be, oh man, I can't forgive me. The, but, but be transformed. There it is by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That this is the battlefield right here. As much as out here and and our 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 outward activity is is radically important our inward activity is just as important if not more important than what happens out here because what happens in here changes what happens out here 
And if what happens out here, the things we say, the things we do, if those are in line with God's word, they will move backwards, but it'll go, they will. Doing the things God told you to do out here can affect what's going on inside. Um, in fact, I think that's one of the best ways to get started. That one of the best ways to get started with discipleship is to start to do the things that God told you to do. Just start doing them. Even if even if you resent them, even if you don't want to do them, <laughs> just start being obedient. You'll be amazed at how much that shifts uh, what's going on on the inside. Um, but also pay attention to what's going on in here. Pay attention. Because in the end, if this isn't aligned with this, if inward and outward aren't aligned with each other, then salvation, we, we haven't got there yet. Okay? And I don't mean heaven to hell. That's what I'm talking about when I say salvation. I'm talking about kingdom life. The, the life and life more abundant comes from both inside and outside living our lives in a Christ-like way. Okay. Purify your hearts. So cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Now, when I hear these things, I hear Jesus, which is, James is obviously a disciple of Jesus. Uh, we, we can really tell because he's constantly repeating, um, maybe in a slightly different form like this, the things that Jesus said regularly in his ministry, and this is one of them. So Matthew 23, uh, starting with verse 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he's, 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 he's pronouncing woe against them. He's pronouncing um, judgment against the Pharisees. And listen to this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but... You have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. That's what Jesus is saying. Both inwardly and outwardly, we begin to be formed into the image of God. That's what we are called to do. Now, double-mindedness. I want to take a quick minute. He just says the word double-minded people. That's what he says. Uh, but he said that before in this in this book. And, I, and so I want to refer back to that. Because what it meant then is probably what it means now. And there, in chapter 1, verse 8, uh, he is talking about belief and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief. 
He says, when you ask, you believe and not, uh, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do. So uh, we, what we have a call back to trusting in God. That's what. Uh, that along with draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, stop being double-minded, trust in the Lord. And then in verse 9, he pronounces these really kind of difficult things for us to hear. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. I mean, nobody likes to hear that. You want me to be miserable? James, why would I do what you want me to do when you're saying, I want you to be miserable? I, I, that does That's not exciting. I mean, that's hard for me. Of course, nobody likes that. But one, we need to recognize he's not talking to everyone. For, the, for those whose way has is aligned with the Lord, you don't need to be miserable, mourn, and weep. He's talking to those who need to repent. To those who have aligned with the way of the world, and he's saying it is time to shift gears. And the things that used to make you happy now should make you sad. When you look at things that when you were in the way of the world, they made you happy. Um, yay, I got revenge on that person. Uh, yay, I got that promotion even though I trampled over a bunch of people to get it. Yay, I'm... <laughs> Okay, these kinds of things make that make people in the way of the world very happy. They're excited about it. Yay, isn't that great? And James is saying, no, you have to. No, that's not okay. It is be miserable. Change, change what makes you happy. Change what makes you sad. The things that made you happy in the way of the world should deeply grieve you. In these days, the days where we are trying to walk in the way of Christ, what once caused us to laugh should now cause us to weep. And the whole way our heart works needs to be turned upside down and inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I remember when I very first started doing ministry, I had a pastor who gave me this verse and said, you, you need, you need to, you need to memorize this verse and you need to walk in it. Um, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Uh, this whole chapter has been about ambition and envy and strife. And about how, and all of today has been about the ways in which we avoid envy and ambition and strife. Uh, and this is a big one. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. It is not an easy thing to humble ourselves. It's not. We want to we wanna be proud. We want to feel good about ourselves and our accomplishments. But we are to come before the Lord humbly, recognizing that all that he's given us 
is a gift, a mighty gift of grace and mercy. Humble ourselves before the Lord and let him exalt you. Set, we need to learn to set our hopes on God's activity and not our own. We need to learn to trust obedience, to trust obedience instead of ambition and self-promotion. We need to submit to God's wisdom and not our own. There's going to be so many times and so many ways where the way God wants to do something doesn't make sense to us. Lord, how many times in my life have I looked at him and said, what are you doing? Why this? Why this way? This doesn't make sense. Are you crazy, God? I mean, many times. That is exactly how I have felt. Are you out of your mind, God? What are you doing to me? Right? No, I'm sure no one out there knows how I felt uh, when I said that. I'm sure I'm the only one, the only sinner in this, in the, you know, in this whole thing that, uh, that, that has looked at what God was doing in my life and said, that's stupid and it doesn't make sense. That's fine. I'll be that, you know, I'll be, I'm going to just be honest with you. I have felt that way many times. This doesn't make sense. What you're telling me to do or the things that you, the doors that you are opening for me don't make sense according to what I want to do. One of my favorite moments like this was back in 2008. Um, I was very involved. I was working part-time for First Assembly of God in Fort Wayne um, in the youth department. I was, and my plan was to move from part-time to full-time and to become one of the youth pastors there on staff at First Assembly. Um, and I was working my backside off uh, in that ministry, leading the worship ministry, teaching the Sunday school class, leading a small group, you know, you name it, I was doing it. And, and this was how I knew God's call was on my life. And this is how I was going to get there. I was going to just work so hard that they would have to hire me full time. That, that was my plan, right? That was my plan. And, uh, and, and it makes sense. You know, I'd always been told bloom where you're planted, do the ministry that's in front of you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, humble yourself into the mighty hand of God that he will exalt you in due time. That's another verse, um, that says the same thing. And that's what I was trying to do, right? This was my plan. And, uh, and, and one day I was sitting at work and like a bolt out of the blue, the voice of God spoke loudly in my heart. It wasn't an external audible voice, but it was an internal audible voice. It was very loud. And I was just sitting at work, um, doing something completely different. And all of a sudden, boom, the voice of the Lord stepped down from all ministry for the next 12 months. What? What? Whoa, wait a minute. No, this is not the plan. I have a plan. And I've got a goal and I'm working towards that goal and we're making progress. You know, I've never been paid before until now. Uh, and now I'm actually getting paid to do some ministry and it's only part time right now, but I'm on my way. Right. But the Holy Spirit says, leave ministry for the next 12 months. Are you? No, this is dumb. Um, and I spent the next several days wrestling with God over that. Uh, and of course, 
God, as he often does, confirmed his word in 1,200 ways. Everywhere I went, somebody was saying the same kind of thing. People were speaking directly to me, you know, in prophetic words. You, this is, this is what you were supposed to do. It seemed so counterintuitive to me. But this was the voice of the Lord. And I think about it now. And I know now, I can see now how the Lord was preparing me and how the Lord was preparing my family and how the Lord was maneuvering things around and teaching me the things that I needed to know so that when it came time for me to be in full-time ministry, which was two years later, that that uh, that I would be actually fully ready to do so. Um, but that was those were two years of walking in faith Believing that God wanted to do this in me, but not knowing why he would point me in the opposite direction of the way that I wanted to go and say, that's, that's it. Now, trust me, are you nuts, God? What are you doing? But I chose, thankfully, thank you, Jesus, for making it clear enough to me that I couldn't say no. I mean, I could have said no, but. To humble myself before the Lord and to trust him. And it was very hard to do. But I would not be where I am now uh, if he, if I had not said yes to him then. And I'm grateful for that. Verse 11. Do not criticize one another, brothers. All right, so now we're kind of shifting gears a little bit. I think that was really the end of that conversation, the end of the whole conversation of this chapter uh, so far about ambition and envy, etc., and the desires that bring strife. And I think now he's he's shifting gears a little bit. And it's kind of in the same vein because this whole chapter has been about stopping the fights between us Um uh, but this is a different aspect. It is dealing with something completely different. Um, although, I mean, it, well, we, we'll see how it's related here in a minute. Besides the God's trying to deal with the things that are causing fights between us, there's also this aspect of pride that God's dealing with here. So verse 11, don't criticize one another, brothers. This word criticize uh, is the ancient Greek word, uh, catalalia, catalalia, or catalalia. I'm not sure, but it's one of those. And according to Barclay, catalalia is the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in groups and pass on confidential information, which destroy the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. Okay, so this is, when it says criticize, this is a very specific kind of thing. Something we might call gossip, it's the way that we in the corners in little groups and pass on confidential information, which destroys the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves, according to Berkeley. So this uh, we've all seen it happen. We've all seen the gossip spread like wildfire. We've all seen uh, the way that the church starts talking i always think of of uh the music man right it's my mother's fault that i constantly have musicals in my brain 
Um, so I, I, but I don't mind really. I, I kind of love it. But the, in the Music Man, there's those ladies, and 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 they whenever they get together, they're singing the song "Pick a Little, Talk a Little, Pick a Little, Talk a Little, Cheap, 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 Talk a Little, Pick a Little More." Right? Are you with me? <laughs> and then there's like pictures of like hens pecking, um, <laughs> in the movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's this, okay? And uh, and it happens all the time all the time in the church and james is saying this can't happen this can't happen um the one who does this to his brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge okay so what have you done you have elevated yourself to a place of judgment and not even judgment according to God's law. This is judgment according to your own opinion. And so what have you done? You have become the judge and not just the judge of that person. You have become the judge of the law itself because you're not following the law. And what was the law that James told us to follow just a couple chapters ago? Love your neighbor as yourself. You wouldn't ever do this about yourself. You wouldn't ever gather in a corner and be all, let me tell you what I did the other day. You wouldn't do that, especially in false ways. And let me tell you something. Can I just, this makes me so angry and I've seen it so many times and it's been leveled against me and my family and it's been leveled against people that I love. Ooh, it makes me mad because what happens is you and I have an encounter uh, where you hear me say something that hurts your feelings. I It happens. I know it's mind-blowing, right? But let's say you and I have an encounter. And you hear me say something to you that hurts your feelings. Um, uh, and instead of coming to me, like Jesus told us to do in Matthew 18, and saying, hey, when we had that conversation, this is what I heard. And allowing me... Now, maybe I'll say, that's what I said. But much more often, it is, oh my goodness, no, that is not what I meant to say. Oh my God, I'm so sorry that that that's what you heard. That is not what I meant. And over 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 again. I've seen churches split. I've seen people leave churches. I've seen marriages end because of things that were said and were not meant the way that they were taken. It was a total misunderstanding. But they never speak to each other. They only speak to others about that misunderstanding. And it destroys the relationship and it destroys a whole bunch of things around it. It's this hideously ugly thing that the devil constantly does where he takes people's words and just twists them. So they mean the opposite of what they originally meant. And it usually has to do with with the insecurities of one party or the other, where they said something and because of their own insecurity, they take it a different way and it gets all gross and twisted and terrifying. I hate it. Ooh, it makes me so mad. I just, mm, 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 mm. no, 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 man, I just can't, man, we have got to protect each other. So when that happens, 
right? What we have done is we have become the judge of the law itself, not just the judge of our brother, which is bad enough, but we've become the judge of the law. And James says in verse 12, there is one lawgiver and one judge, and that judge is able to either save or destroy. And who are you to judge your neighbor? So we had the we had the garage sale last week. And the way the garage sale works is uh, when we do that is um, is you you get to just decide what you're going to pay for most things. OK, at the garage sale, we're not going to put price tags on everything. It's just what, what we call a reasonable donation. So you come up to the front and you give me however much money it is that you think you should give me for that. And I'm just going to take it and that's going to be it. Um, but always there are moments where somebody gives me less than I feel like they should for a certain thing. Um, there's always those moments. And I, I am I'm I try really hard not to get judgmental and not to be like, well, you should have given more for that. <laughs> People will come with whole carts full of clothes or whatever. And then give you like $2. Um, and I'm like, you don't understand how much work went into getting that all in here and folding all of that and sorting all of that. And you're going to give us $2, right? It is hard. It is really hard, even right now, not to judge that person. But who am I to judge my neighbor? I don't know their situation. And what's even worse is what if I then turn and I say to the person next to me, did you see what they just did? Did you see how much that little they gave me? I'm doing right exactly what James is telling me not to do. Father, forgive me. <laughs> right? Really, though, I need it. It's hard not to judge. It's really difficult. Because we think, you know, we know what it looks like to be a righteous person. And that is very difficult. It is very difficult. But there is one lawgiver and one judge. And he is the one who's able to either save or destroy. So let's just trust him. And so that's what I do is I'm like, Lord, you know, you know. I leave the judgment to you and I'm going to let go. Okay, what's next? Uh... Oh, verse 13. Yeah, we're going to keep trucking here and try and get to the end. We've got three verses left. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. So, again, this is a pride thing, right? Okay, so the judgment thing is a pride thing. The the self, the ambition and envy is a pride thing. And this is a pride thing, right? I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul, right? Anybody? Uh, that That's that's a, that's a, uh, it's a poem, and I don't remember who wrote it, but it's from a poem. Um I, this place of saying, I get to decide what's going to happen in my life. And James is drawing our attention to the fact that we aren't in control. 
which is everybody hates that. James, what are you doing? I don't want to be reminded that I have no control over my life and that all semblance of control that I have is a complete and total illusion. <laughs> control, our sense of control is an illusion. Do we get to make choices in the moment that matter in the end? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But even our ability to make those decisions is grace given to us by God. And here's the truth, friends. Uh, we could lose it at any moment. And as I see so many, you know, we um, I've watched so many people succumb to dementia or, or Alzheimer's, etc., where they become radically different people than they were. And man, it kills us. It's so hard to see, but it's real. And that happens. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. Car accidents, cancer, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes. Those things are not under our control. We live, we are what theologians call contingent beings. That means that we, we can't create our own existence. We, we are reliant upon a million factors to maintain our existence. Factors that are outside of our control. And, uh, and, and James is reminding us we shouldn't be so big, you know, too big for our uh, for our britches, right? We shouldn't walk around with this sense of mastery and control when we don't have it. We don't. And that boasting in that way is evil. And he says, what we should say is, if the Lord wills. He's not telling us not to make plans. He's just telling us to remember that in the midst of our plans, we're living in unpredictability. We're living in a life that's outside of our own control. We need to stay humble and submit to God and, and, and realize that we, we don't get to make all of our own choices. So we make our plans, and that's great, and we should. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, right? So he isn't saying not to plan. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't get so filled up with the promise of our own plans that when God comes in and changes those plans, that we're angry with him or that we are are would respond with uh, with 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 grief because the plans that got that we had for ourselves were smashed undone. We do this all the time. Don't we? Here's the truth. Sometimes we grieve even more for the things, you know, whenever any change happens, we grieve, but sometimes we grieve more for the things that might've been 
than we do for the things that were and then passed away. Do you know why that is? Because the things that might have been, we can still idealize them. The things that already were, even if they were great, were still not perfect. And so when they go away, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt as much as when the plans we have are foiled. And I've seen so many people who run up against life situations where the plans that they had were foiled and they point the finger at God and they say, they say, how dare you? Right? This was not the plan I had for my life. Like, like I talked about a few minutes ago, this was not the plan I had for my life. Why would you do this to me? We have set our hopes on our own abilities and our own plans when we have no real ability to create those things for ourselves. James has good advice for you. <laughs> Make your plans. There's nothing wrong with that. But then trust that whatever comes, the Lord is going to be with you and that his plans are better than yours. Even if they don't seem that way in the short run, God knows what he's up to. And it, you need to humble yourself under his hand and trust him. That's a lot. Okay. Oh, last verse. Last verse of this is very good. And, and, and I think we can take it in a different direction. I have like 30 seconds. It says, so it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. That's called a sin of omission. Okay. That is not a sin of commission. A sin of commission is a sin where I see a, I, I, you know, I, I, if I stab someone, that's a sin of commission. I have committed a sin, right? Um, but if I see someone that has been stabbed and I don't stop and help them, that's a sin of omission. I didn't stab the guy, but I also didn't do anything about it. So if I see the good that I know that I know I should do and I don't do it, that is a sin. And that's a big sin. And that's a really important kind of sin to think about. If I see good that I should do and I don't do it, I, that is as much a sin as doing something that I know I'm not supposed to do. Okay. All right. That's it for tonight. Father, boy, we need your help to stay humble. We need your help. Lord, we draw near to you. We resist the devil. We don't want his way. We want yours. Teach us to humble ourselves and to submit to you and to say yes to your plans for our lives, even when we don't understand them to say yes to your activity in our lives even when they make no even when it makes no sense to us abba father abba father teach us to be humble teach us not to judge one another and teach us not to trust in the plans and the intentions we have for ourselves but to trust in your activity and your presence. 
that no matter what comes, you will never leave us or forsake us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Blessings, friends. All my love to you. Have a great week.